For those of you that don't know me, my name is Jordan. I am one of the ministers here at the church. I have a goal of meeting those of you that are new especially or I have not met before, so please do introduce yourself to me afterwards. The first verse of our gospel reading is a very familiar statement from Jesus' lips. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It's a grand and universal and evocative claim. Jesus is not saying that he is just some parochial Lord, a parochial light, that he somehow just dwells in the heart, but he's saying, I am the light of the whole world. Jesus thinks he is the world's enlightenment, that in the midst of all the political polarization, in the midst of all the racial tension and all the sexual confusion and all the technological revolution that we're experiencing, like Jesus is the light of the world. He's the one thing that is absolutely needed and necessary for the world to know enlightenment, to know the truth about things, to know reality. I am the light of the world. And Jesus' words were not meant to be just familiar words in those days. They were meant to actually astonish and shock. But I've, for those of us that have been Christians for a while, myself included, you've probably heard these words so many times that they, uh, they can kind of glaze, you can glaze over when you hear them. I am the light of the world. You've heard it so many times that we become desensitized by familiarity. The astonishing and the shocking is no longer what we hear in these words. So what I want to do this morning is two things, very simple. I just want to look at the meaning of these words. And then I want to look at how Jesus kind of applies this universal massive claim to the particularities and personal details of our lives. So the meaning of these words. One of the early church fathers, I think it was Tertullian, said that in the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John is shallow enough for the youngest of children to understand, yet it is deep enough for the wisest of scholars to never comprehend. And that's true with these words. Because what Jesus is doing in saying that I am the light of the world is he, he is taking three massive streams of the Old Testament and saying that all three of those streams converge into one river, and it is me. The first stream is God's divine identity. Do you remember when God appears to Moses in a burning bush in Exodus chapter 3? He says, Moses, Moses, I've heard my people's cries. I've seen their slavery and their oppression, and I'm going to do something about it, Moses. Go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses is bewildered. <laughs> and he says, well, Lord, what am I going to say to your people when they say, who, who is this God's name? And God says to him, I am who I am. Tell him that I am has sent you to them. Now, that's not very helpful. What is it like to be Moses showing up and saying, I am has sent me to you? I am was God's way of saying that my abiding and unchanging character is about to be displayed in the most public of forms before all the world. My constancy and my consistency, my unrivaled and unparalleled lordship, I am who I am. And this became such a significant revelation to Moses in the burning bush that throughout the Old Testament, it's actually repeated seven times, different times, that God's name is this great I am. Nothing more basic and nothing more fundamental, nothing more enduring than him. And it's interesting because in the Gospel of John, Jesus utters two sets of seven I am statements. Think about that. 
In the Old Testament, we get seven I am statements. And then in Jesus, in the in Gospel of John, we get two sets of them. And he applies them to himself in different ways. So it's as if Jesus is doubling down on this I am character of God revealed in the burning bush and saying, actually, that is me here right now. My flesh and blood, the burning bush of the New Testament. I am the light of the world. The first two words, I am, draws on this stream of the revelation to Moses. And the second stream is God's saving presence. Notice the second two words, I am the light of the world. Now, picking up on this image of light, Jesus is drawing upon the context in which he is speaking. We're told in John chapter 7 that this is the festival of the booths, or the festival of the tabernacles, or you might say the little tents. And this was one of the three major feasts for the Jews. It lasted a whole week long. There would be tens of thousands of pilgrims that would come to Jerusalem for it. And it was to remember and celebrate what God had done in providing for Israel in the wilderness when they're wandering through the wilderness. And there were three images that came up in this festival that celebrated manna, bread from heaven that God provided in the wilderness. Think of John chapter 6. Jesus says, I am the bread come from heaven. And the next image was water. God provided water flowing from a rock in the wilderness. John chapter 7, Jesus stands up and says, all who are thirsty, come to me and drink. Water. And then the third image was light. God was a fiery pillar, a fiery cloud in the midst of the night that would lead his people and protect his people. And in John chapter 8, Jesus stands up and says, I am the light of the world. Bread, water, and light. And some church architects have picked up on kind of the nature of Jesus' claims here. So I don't know if you've ever been to Barcelona. I was just talking to somebody beforehand who's going to be going in a week, and they're going to get to visit La Sagrada Familia the wonderful, wonderful cathedral that was designed by Gaudi. And as you go in that, you, if you ever go to it, well, just look it up on Google this afternoon. <laughs> it's just amazing. But you'll notice as you walk into it, it's designed so that the columns branch out into trees, so it's like you're entering into the new Garden of Eden, a paradise. It's the sense of being in a forest. And as you look along each wall going down the lengthwise of the cathedral, you will see that they've done two different color schemes in the stained glass. One color scheme on one side is blues and greens to represent Jesus' claim in the Gospel of John that he will give living waters. So it's the color of water. And then on the other side, you get yellows and oranges and reds, and it's to represent Jesus' claim that I am the light of the world. And the stone they use to build the inside of this thing is this kind of whitewashed, kind of whitewashed light stone. So you get these colors of blue and green and of kind of yellow and orange and red reflecting, refracting and reflecting throughout the whole place, and it just fills the whole scene with the sense of God's presence in Jesus' light and what he comes to offer. So as you walk through that cathedral, you experience a sense that the reality of who Jesus is is the very atmosphere in which we live our lives. At the Feast of Booths, every night, pilgrims would light a candle that they would keep burning throughout the night in their tents. And the priests would light a golden candelabra 
and they would bring it into the temple courts and place it there to burn all night. And it was to remember how God's light had guided them in the wilderness. And it was to long for the day when God's light would once again shine on their darkness and deliver them and bring them into the kingdom of light. And Jesus stands up in that context. When their imaginations have been filled with this image of light piercing the darkness, and he says, I am the light of the world. So not only is he drawing upon Moses and Exodus, but he is drawing upon this image of light and saying, I'm right at the center of it. And the third stream that Jesus draws upon, it's not just God's divine identity and not just God's saving presence, but also God's missional purposes. So think, remember with me Genesis chapter 12. <laughs> God appears to Abraham. He says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make of you a great nation and a great name. Why? So that you will be a blessing to the nations. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And the prophet Isaiah picks up on this, and he says, God has given Israel to the nations to be a light to those nations, to bring them knowledge of who God is and of his ways for humanity. Now, one of the major problems in the Old Testament prophets is the sense of like, okay, if God's people, Israel, have been chosen by God to be the ones who are bearers of light to the entire world, then what in the world is going to happen when those people are actually sinful and rebellious and wayward and apathetic and broken? So there's a sense in the Old Testament prophets of like, Israel's supposed to be the one that's spreading God's light to the entire world, yet Israel is like squandering around and mucking things up. And so when Jesus shows up in the midst of that kind of prophetic question and longing, he says, I am the light of the world. He's saying, I have come to do what Israel has failed to do. I've come to do what God has always intended, but which haven't, hasn't happened yet, and to bring light to all the nations. So that's the meaning of I am the light of the world. I spent a lot of time there. <laughs> but I just wanted you to get a sense that Jesus, in saying these words, is saying, God's divine identity, here I am. God's saving presence, here I am. God's missional purpose for the entire world, here I am. I am and the light of the world. And then what Jesus did, does is one of the most astonishing things. He takes this universal claim, this magnificent, evocative claim, and then he kind of applies it to the particularities and personal dynamics of our lives. He says, whoever follows me, here's the first application, will not walk in darkness. Like, I'm the light of the world. If you apprentice yourself to me, if you learn from me, if you listen to me, if you see how to do life from me, and if you serve alongside me, you're not going to walk in the darkness. Now, throughout the Bible, walking is this image of just kind of going about the day-to-day -day details of life. It's an image of the routines and rhythms that kind of make up the fabric of our lives. And the image of someone walking in the darkness, it does have a moral connotation of like walking in sin in some way or not the way they are meant to live. But also in the Gospel of John, it has this heavily kind of, this connotation of ignorance. Not just a moral connotation, but a connotation of ignorance. So to be walking about your life in ignorance of the way in which God designed you to live your life. 
To walk in darkness is to not know where you're supposed to be aiming your life. (laughs) It's to be unsure of where to find meaning and direction and purpose. And so I take Jesus to be saying something like this. If you follow me, you will not be ignorant of anything that is necessary for living a meaningful and purposeful life. Now, I find this to be good news, because I don't know about you, but I find making decisions in life really, really difficult. (laughs) My family and I have had to make some big decisions in months past. And the reality is, is that when you're making big decisions about whether it's like to get married to somebody or to take a new job or about where you should live and how you should spend your money and how to parent your kids and what sorts of friendships to invest in and what sort of extracurricular activities and you name it, all these sorts of things, how to prepare for retirement, you can often feel like you're walking in the darkness. (laughs) Like, I don't know. Or even if I do make this decision, I don't exactly know how this is going to work out. I remember somebody asking, um, uh, the university I was at had a famous professor named N.T. Wright who was there, and somebody asked him about this. What do we do like, when we're making decisions and we just feel like we're walking in the dark? And he said, well, he said, the reality is, is you, you're just not always going to get clarity about it. That's <laughs> just the, the matter of the fact. So God's not promising you like, clarity all the time. But the important thing is that you are continually walking in step with him throughout the decision. He said, this is where prayer is so important, because you need to come to the end of your decision, and whatever decision it leads you, you need to have confidence that you've depended on God every step of the way in that decision, that you have followed Jesus. And so what that opens up is not a space of perfect clarity about, should I go down this path or this path, although God gives that sometimes. But what it opens up is a space of that if I follow Jesus, I am never going to lack what is necessary for a meaningful and a purposeful life. I will not walk in darkness. He will lead me. So the first application is if you follow Jesus, you will not walk in darkness. And the second is if you follow Jesus, Jesus says, whoever follows me will have the light of life. The light of life. The light which is life. Or the light which gives life. I think Jesus is saying something like this. You will not lack anything that is necessary for living a wholesome and flourishing life. Think about that for a second. I think this speaks directly into some of the fears of our culture. One of the biggest fears being FOMO. Does anybody know about FOMO? The fear of missing out is what it's called. We want to enjoy life at its fullest. We're created as human beings to enjoy life at its fullest. And we've developed this deep-seated fear, though, of missing out on any opportunity or experience that might give us that fullness of life that we so long for. I remember being in a conversation with a woman who grew up in Ohio, but she, she's part of a different church in L.A., but she moved here some 20 years ago to Orange County, and she said it was so interesting because on the East Coast, when she lived there, what everybody was on about is it was all about like, oh, my name's Jordan, and I went to this university. It was all about what university did you go to and what degrees did you get, and it kind of led to this fear of missing out on getting the best degrees at the best places. And she said it was so interesting when I moved to Orange County, it was a different set of things. Everybody, it was all about which car did you drive (laughs) and which vacation did you go on. And it was all about this fear of missing out on particular experiences at unique places around the world or having a particular car. And the evangelical church that we kind of have had experiences with, this can take other forms as well. 
If you're single, you can have a fear of missing out on being married. If you're married, you can have a fear of missing out on having children. And if you're married and have children, you can have a fear of missing out on everything else. (laughs) Or you just have a fear now of your kids missing out. You will have the light of life. I think Jesus is saying to us is that no matter what your circumstances or your situation or your season of life or your particular fears, like if you follow me, you do not need to worry about missing out on life. You may experience loss. You may experience depression. You may experience deep heartache. You may walk through excruciating disappointment. You may know denying yourself that hurts really deeply and having to take up your cross in ways that you would have never imagined before. But you will always have the light that gives life. Deep, abiding, nourishing, sustaining life. And the riches that he will give is so much more than anything you will ever miss out on. So Jesus says, if you follow me, you will not walk in darkness and you will have the light of life. And the third thing is you will hear the Father's voice. I get this from verse 26 and 28, where Jesus declares that he only tells the word, the world, what he has first heard from the Father. And Jesus says that he does nothing on his own authority, but he speaks just as the Father has taught him. Notice that. Jesus is saying something like, if you follow me, you will learn to discern the tenor and the tone of the Father's voice, because I am listening to my Father constantly. And I am saying only what I hear the Father saying. So in my voice, you will hear the Father's voice. Brothers and sisters, this is the piece that struck me so deeply this week. (laughs) This is marvelous. Michael Reeves wrote a book called Delighting in the Trinity. I recommend it to you. He said, Jesus is God himself, and he's come not only to share the Father's love with us, but also to share his knowledge of the Father with us. And then he says this line, which struck me so deeply. He said, Jesus comes that we might grow to know the Father as he, Jesus, knows the Father. And how does Jesus know the Father? J.I. Packer, in his wonderful book, Knowing God, highlights four things that Jesus experiences and knows particularly from the Gospel of John, about the Father. He says he knows the Father's affection, that the Father is one who loves and cares for him. He knows the Father's authority, that the Father is one who rules and guides him. He knows the Father's fellowship, that the Father is one who accompanies and supports him. And he knows the Father's privilege, the Father is one who honors and delights in him. Affection authority, fellowship, and privilege. And I think this is where I want to end, because whether we like it or not, I think we've been shown by psychology and so many other things, (laughs) made painfully aware of the fact that our relationship with our earthly fathers, with our biological fathers, in so many ways shapes and colors the way in which we relate to God as Father. And the way in which we relate to God as Father shapes everything about us. It shapes the way in which we understand our own identities as his children. It shapes the way we go about our ministry as his servants. It shapes the way in which we treat other people as his image bearers. I remember being struck by this when I was going through uh, discernment for ordination. 
I had to go uh, to this weekend. It was called Dove, Discernment of Vocation Event. It's nifty. And um, it was a long weekend, and I remember I was getting grilled theologically. Everybody's asking me, like, what's your theology of this? What's your theology of this? All these sorts of things. And on the middle of day two, I show up, and there's this elderly woman, woman sitting across the table. It's just me and her. I didn't know her at the time, but I came to find out she had done about 30 or 40 years of pastoral ministry. <laughs> she looked at me and said, there's like a long, silent pause, and she said, tell me about your relationship with your father. See, she was wise. She understood something. And she got right to the core of a lot of things. See, if our father was absent or distant or passive, we might have difficulty relating to God as one who is affectionate and wants to be in intimate fellowship with us. If our father was angry or irritable or hostile, we may have difficulty experiencing God's authority as a good thing or as his presence as a privilege. But you see, Jesus comes as the light of the world, and one of the things that the light does is the light kind of reveals and exposes our distorted images of who God is. And then he invites us to follow him into a new way of seeing and knowing and relating and listening to the Father. One of my favorite passages in Matthew chapter 11 is that passage where Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, all who have labored and burdened yourselves, and I will give you rest. But what people so often forget about is the verse that comes right before it. Jesus says, no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom I choose to reveal him. Now come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Like, take my intimate knowing and hearing and loving of the Father upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, you will not walk in darkness. You will have the light of life, and you will discern the Father's voice. I speak these things to you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.